What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. Just watch me. The medium is the message. Proof is approved. What kind of proof? It's approved. It has no core identity. Smashed potatoes are no gravy. You know what I'm saying? Speaking uh, moistly on them. Hello and welcome to Just Watch Me. I'm Kate. And I'm Liv. They were talking about Shania Twain. She's still the one. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we begin by talking about our own personal experience with Shania Twain because I think we need to put a bit of a disclaimer that we're both huge Shania Twain fans. Yeah, this is not an unbiased look at Shania Twain. Yeah. And Shania was probably like one of the most formative artists of my youth. I would think I would say Whoa. that. Was really into her Up album. My love of Shania Twain also came from the Up album. It's one of the first CDs I ever owned. And mm -hmm. which is strange because looking at her history and studying her, you know, her real praise comes from come on over and from and before come on over like nobody else talks about the up album but i think it's our age because you would have been nine i would have been seven because it was because up came out in 2002 yeah and do you remember that this cd had the red version and the green version oh do i ever <laughs> were you more of a red version or a green version i was definitely more red than green I was more red than green, too. I don't know anyone who played the green version. Maybe if you were more country. So to my, to my understanding, the red was supposed to be more poppy, more for like a party, whereas green was a little more classic country. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, we always were, were playing the red. And I have to say, I do think I definitely jammed out to come on over, too, now that I'm thinking. I don't know if I ever owned the album, but when I think of even like years later i remember going to like grade nine dances in high school and listening to man i feel like a woman in the car when our parents drove us to the dance and like screaming that song to like as a pregame when we were like 13. i got into come on over in the year the year after actually because it just mysteriously came into my life like this was when a time when you would go just like buy albums and so I just like mysteriously kind of ended up with it the year later. So I like knew all of her greatest hits basically. And then obviously when her greatest hits album came out, I want to say her greatest album was 2004, right? So like it was like three years in a row of like new content from Shania, even though it wasn't new content, like, mm -hmm. but it was new content for me. And so by the time the greatest hits album came, I like knew the, the like come on over and up and then some new songs from uh, her greatest hits album. So I, like, I had a pretty good range um, and understanding of her repertoire by that point, you know, <laughs> as a 10-year-old or 11. I do think it's amazing, like, at least in Canada, to my understanding, just how, like, how gen multi-generational her fan base is. Yeah. And she says this in interviews. And then I think, like, why do I know this music that's, like late 90s I was born in 1995 
Yeah. Um, I do think it is telling that like my favorite, most nostalgic album of hers is Up because I owned it. And my sister yeah. too, who's two years younger than me, I said, what's your favorite Shania Twain song preparing for this podcast? And she said, Party for Two, which nobody oh says. But I really like that song too. So anyway, all this to say that we're huge fans and um, that's probably going to come across <laughs> when we talk about her in a very unbiased way. Certainly not an unbiased take. Okay, should we start with, start at the very beginning? She was born Eileen Edwards. She was born in Windsor, moved to Timmins when she was two. Um, and for those of you who are maybe outside of Ontario who don't know anything about um, Timmins, it's very far up north in Ontario. Very cold, very isolated. Small. Small town. But biggest city in that area, I feel like. Like kind of a urban center, if you can call it that. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's like the only city for miles, is my understanding. I've never been. Yeah. But I, at the age of two, her parents got divorced, and and her mom remarried to Jerry Twain, and so that's where the the Twain comes from. Jerry Twain isn't her real father, but her adopted father. Although she speaks about him, she calls him dad and stuff too. Yeah. In the early days of her uh, success, there was kind of, I think, some confusion about um, her ancestry as a result. And we should say Jerry Twain did adopt Shania and her siblings. Yeah. As well as, I think, his nephew. They had they had quite a big family. Mm-hmm. But they grew up experiencing poverty. She talks about frequently being hungry, wearing bread bags on her feet when her family couldn't afford winter boots, which struck me knowing she's from Timmins yeah she talks about going to school without lunches or going to school with like mustard and bread to eat something I noticed that she said a lot throughout her life was that like she was too embarrassed to tell anybody she was too embarrassed to like ask for help to ask someone for that apple that they weren't going to eat as she said it a couple times she also talks about being like anxious about being found out by children's aid that yeah. if they knew that they were all hungry and and not maybe being fed properly that her family would be broken up, which she couldn't, which she just really couldn't take. She talks also about the shame of like having greasy hair and not being properly bathed and, and struggling in that sense as well. She's, she's somebody who you can tell she keeps, and you'll see later in her career, like she keeps a lot of things very private. She's kind of introverted mm-hmm. and shy and she is embarrassed of things, which I think makes her kind of interesting and you really see that she like struggled and I think it did shape her into the type of artist that she like wanted to do things on her own she wanted to prove that you know she could do it on her own she wanted to support herself she wanted to take responsibility for herself as an artist and I think like you can see very clearly when you look at her childhood like how she became that way you know right and she does also talk about uh, an abusive home her father jerry frequently beat her mother she's ta- she shares some pretty graphic anecdotes in her memoir um which we won't repeat but she she talks about like how she intervened when she was worried he, he was about to kill her mother um mm-hmm. and she she also wasn't immune from the abuse she she too was abused by jerry physically sexually and verbally she talks about that about the way he spoke to her too um and how hard that was it's quite interesting to hear her talk about it now you know, she never seems angry she always seems sad but 
like happy, sad at this, both at the same time. She talks about, you know, in between the violence, everything went back to normal. Everyone just carried on as normal. She also said this quote about her father. My father was a beautiful man. Both my parents were. Bad things happened to good people. My father tried his hardest to overcome his own problems and issues and his own suffering silence. And the outcome was that the cycle did not get broken and then children had to suffer through it. And so did my mother. Yeah, I I read that as well. And what I thought was so interesting and about that was her empathy. Like she just seems to have an incredible amount of empathy. She does. And I think that that's that's how she stops i mean i don't want to speculate too much but like that seems to be why she doesn't just think of him as bad because she looks at the situation that he was in faced with like extreme poverty and trying to support um all these people especially when you know she wasn't even his biological daughter and he took her in and and so i think she she kind of looks at the whole situation and is able to to rationalize it and not excuse but it seems like she's got an incredible capacity for empathy. Absolutely. I think it's, it's, it's very interesting and certainly remarkable. I think this is a good transition to start talking about how music entered her life. Because mm-hmm. when she's telling her story about how she started in music, she really talks about music as a coping mechanism. Mm-hmm. She started really young. She started writing songs when she was 10. She talks about getting paid gigs in bars when she was eight. Which is crazy (laughs) which should be illegal yeah (laughs) she said that she wasn't thinking about being a star she just wanted to escape from uh quote everything a violent home tensions nothing to eat and it really works it's therapeutic a lot of kids play with dolls and i played with words and sounds which is so beautiful (laughs) it is and it's i mean when you actually hear her talk about the details of her singing in bars as like an eight-year-old it's like pretty remarkable you know because what she said is that you know she'd go to bed at like a normal time for an eight-year-old and then her parents would wake her up at 11 to get dressed and get ready because she was only allowed in the bar after they stopped serving alcohol which was 12 o'clock so then she'd arrive at the bar and sing for a couple hours with all these mostly men who were drunk and then she'd go to go home go to sleep and go to school the next day it, it can't have been a nice experience you know and she doesn't talk about it that far <laughs> no she says not liking being she talks about not liking being yeah. around all those drunk people but she was paid for those gigs and that money mm-hmm. was used to support her family which yeah she continued to do after her mother and jerry died in a car accident when she was 21 she was singing in country bars in nashville when she got the news and she came home to take care of her brothers and sisters. She was just 21. I think her brothers were 13 and 14, and she had a younger sister as well. And she stayed for six years until they were grown up. She says she's very humble about it. She doesn't say she doesn't say she raised them. She says we raised each other. Oh, I've heard her say that she raised them, but she's she. I agree. She's always mm-hmm. humble, but she's like you know. I don't think I did a good job. I was just, <laughs> I was just doing the best that I could to like uh, give them stability and help them out. But they were, you know, teenagers by that point, so it couldn't have been easy. Yeah, when they were a bit grown up, I think it was after about six years, she got signed to. She moved to Nashville and changed her name to Shania. Yeah, it's interesting because it sounds like she had a lot of opportunities to potentially get 
deals and things like that but she it sounds like she was really picky she really knew what she wanted she wanted to be um and she didn't just want to make an album for the sake of it she was very particular about what she wanted and I think that that helped put her on like she was very ready for the right path and when she got it and I think that that helped catapult her into success because it wasn't you know she was 27 um when she released her first album which is she wasn't like super pretty... young like she wasn't like no. she'd been playing that's what she said she was really ready like she'd been playing and yeah. writing songs for such a long time she doesn't talk about that time in her life as being very um enjoyable like she didn't really revel in it she just kept working and working and working and I, I think that's what helped her get so famous and have hit after hit is because she never like lost sight of what she was trying to do whereas I think for a lot of people that that like can sometimes be their demise is that they get a bit caught up in the moment so let's talk about the records so the woman in me is her first it's got songs like any man of mine who's bad every mm-hmm. boots went under one of my favorites. favorites i love those songs uh, and those she wrote completely on her own is my understanding and they didn't really get much critical success which is surprising considering they're, they're like such st- good songs <laughs> yeah and well and they've like lasted the test of time too you know yeah i think that I, I imagine like she kind of her fan base probably grew with coming over and then people started to go back to those songs yeah for sure for sure which still seem quintessential shania to me even though therefore the big partnership with her husband ex-husband mutt the common thread through all of it is that she's kept writing yeah. right so she had the influence of somebody else who helped her maybe take things to the next level but i think the essence of her and and her songwriting never never left right so we'll get maybe we'll come back to mutt because she also she married him he's her co-writer so she starts out with woman and me she wrote she writes it she meets mutt and they start writing she releases mm-hmm. come on over which is a huge success i think it sells i think like 40 million copies like mm-hmm. a ton which has songs like You're Still the One and Man, I Feel Like a Woman, which is a mandatory anthem to be played at bachelor, bachelorette parties around the world. And then in 2002, we get Up, which, as you've heard already, is near and dear to the hearts of both of us. And then we get Now in 2017, after 15 years, which mm-hmm. she writes after her divorce with Mutt. And she writes without the help of mud or anybody or anyone so let's talk about robert mutt lang in that partnership which has a double meaning maybe you can help me out with this but it seems like in her early career she has a bit of struggle between like not really wanting to be a country star wanting to be more um pop and then kind of flipping back to it and then going okay like i'm gonna be country but then hooking up with uh mud is kind of like the perfect marriage of the two because he's from this rock background he produced um it was acdc acdc and uh def leopard them coming together created for the first time this um genre crossing in country that combined you know country music with pop and rock in a way that was really interesting and new um that has since become mainstream but 
became mainstream as a result of the work that they did together, it seems. Right. And I think we can also assume that, you know, he brought a level of experience in the industry when she was a little more, probably a little more green, right? Like he knew how to navigate that kind of thing. I, I think you're right. But it's, yeah, it sounds like he was very much like into the production side and she was very much into the voice. Like they had, they both had elements that they brought to the partnership that made it richer. So his contribution is something that it's described very differently when she, when they're together and then described very differently after quote unquote, the betrayal and they're no longer together. But even when they're still together and she's kind of at her height, she always says like, he is more about the instrumentation my understanding is that the lyrics are all Shania. Like, the vocal performance is Shania's, right? Of course. But she, in the more recent interviews, she talks about, like, she, she gives him a lot less credit than she does when they're together. But even when they're together, she says things like, he really gave me room to be me. <laughs> like, she still is, she's still kind of, like, she kind of jealously guards her credit, as she should, but... It, it's it's a bit funny because it does change it certainly does the way she describes it does change after they're no longer yeah. together i don't i don't know that we can fault her for that no. because i think i'd be saying the exact same thing i'd be like oh, i didn't need him <laughs> certainly not as we know they were married well they got together very soon after meeting they were like married what six months after they met really i didn't know that to- yeah so it's, it's not even like they were like friendly like they were together from the beginning it's probably such a powerful thing to be creating with somebody like that i think so somebody that you're attracted to too like that you're making something together i think that's gotta be something that kind of bonds you yeah and i think it's also like kind of a crutch too not to say like that it that it necessarily was but that you have someone to lean on and to have someone to bounce some ideas off of and then to then have to do that process totally alone, I think, would have been really hard. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. So, and it's true, like you say, like she lost a partner in life and also a partner in her career. Like it, it was like two huge losses. It wasn't just like a you know a personal relationship. It was a professional relationship too. Should we talk about the betrayal? Mud and Shania moved to Switzerland in the early two thousands. And they have she has one son called Asia. Yes, Asia Lang, a um, born in two thousand one, who is Mutt's son as well. Yeah, so so they're living in Switzerland, living this very quiet life, which she seems to take quite a bit of pride in. And then, of course, that all kind of falls apart when it emerges that um, her husband uh, Mutt Lang has been having an affair with their uh, PA, but also Twain's very close friend. Marion Tabo. Who lived very close to them. The relationship that Schneif seems to describe with, between her is like that that Marianne just like knew everything about Shania, that they were very close, that she understood how important her private life and her personal life was to Shania and how much that she loved Mutt and how much how much their family meant to her. And so I think when she found out about the affair that was also part of why she was so hurt was because it was with 
this person that she thought she could trust. Who had reassured her once when she said she suspected Mud of cheating and said, of course not. How could anyone cheat on you? Just terrible. So, of course, she discovered the affair actually because um, Marie Anne's husband came to her with receipts and um, different uh, bills to kind of like prove that they had been like staying in hotels together or whatnot. And what's kind of interesting was always really interesting to me is that you know Marie Anne was meant to be this like really really close friend, but Shania says she doesn't she didn't even really know Fred at all. Like yeah, she had hardly even like she didn't even have his phone number. Well, I do wonder how this is like Jessica Simpson. <laughs> all the people her closest friends are people who work for her. And this woman was her personal assistant, right? But also her best friend. I, I don't think that's so uncommon with famous people. The people that they spend the most time with are the people who are on their staff. They are their best friends. Like, it's kind of sad. That's why, you know, there's all these profiles about how it's actually a really lonely life and that kind of thing. Yeah. But then what happens? So by the time the news breaks about this whole thing, it comes out very quickly after that she's actually gotten together with Marianne's husband Fred uh, Thibault who is very strikingly handsome. <laughs> yeah he is. I'm like I feel like we upgraded here to be honest Shania. I think she did great. Life's about to get yeah. good. <laughs> <laughs> During the period of the betrayal she's still going through another pretty serious hardship. She loses her voice. At the end of the up tour she is having trouble with her voice. She knew she got bit by a tick and had Lyme disease, but they caught it really early. They found the tick. And mm-hmm. she w- knew she was having problems with her voice, but she just attributed it to being exhausted. I mean, she'd been on the road for like two years or something. She had a, she was on the, had a really long tour. And kind of years went by and her voice wasn't really recovering. And it took a, a quite a long time for her to realize or and for her doctors to realize that the Lyme disease had caused nerve damage and that she essentially had some slight atrophying on both sides of the vocal cords, uh, which was affecting her, her voice and was kind of ended up being, it's like a chronic injury that she just has now. The vocal cords itself themselves are not necessarily damaged, but it's her ability to control her voice. Mm-hmm. So I didn't know that much about Lyme disease and it's like interesting how like much it can just like take over your body. So she kind of had to do like a vocal physiotherapy. So she was doing like physical movement while singing and that kind of thing. She talks about how she still needs a very long vocal warm up before she can even sing at all. She can't really do any spontaneous singing and she needs to really prepare out of a fear of, of damaging them. And, um, and it's, I think it's a big deal for a singer. Like it's, it's how she's made her living. It's who she's, she's something she's been doing since she was a kid. It's how, kind of how you see yourself when you're a singer. Um, I think that the fact that this was still going on, she was still rehabbing this around the same time that her husband, she found out about this affair. It was just really devastating. It was kind of a one-two punch for her. But she did recover. I know she's still, it's kind of like a, a chronic injury, like this this nerve damage. Like she'll have it maybe forever, but she's, she was well enough, um, took her about 10 years, but she had a two-year Las Vegas residency in starting in 2012 that went until the end of 2014. And then she released, after t- 15 years since the Up album, which was the last album, she released Now, 
in 2017, which she wrote entirely herself without Mutt. Should we talk about Shania's legacy? Let's do it. I think she's been described as a country rebel. Should we talk about how, what she kind of did within country music? Well, one of the biggest things that I think she's been championed for um, is, was her ability to cross genre, which is something I mentioned before. And that was something like very innovative within her actual music mm-hmm. and that she, people have said that there wouldn't be a Taylor Swift without Shania Twain, which I just think is. I think Taylor Swift has said that too. Well, she's called, that's why she's called the queen of country pop. Like, I think that country pop is so normal now that we forget that it was, there's a lot of resistance to it. I mean, there's still resistance to it and there's a lot of criticism, what we would call stadium pop. And if you need a reference for that, please check out Bo Burnham's country song from his last special. It is one of my favorite things. So, but country pop really, like she is kind of is credited for bringing that in. I think that she deserves it. Mm-hmm. I don't, I think that. Yeah. Even if Taylor's people like Taylor Swift and Miranda Lambert hadn't haven't hadn't actually said that they admired her and that she was really important to their career, like it's undeniable that we don't have Taylor Swift or Miranda Lambert in this way that we do without without Shania Twain. And I don't know why she keeps. In every profile I've read, they talk about these other country female singers, but I don't think that we have Luke Bryan or Florida Georgia Line without Shania Twain either. People actually said about Keith Urban or Keith Urban. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I don't think it's, like, I mean, obviously she's a strong feminist icon, yeah. but I don't think that her influence is exclusively for women, you know. I think I think it's country music at large and creating, I would say, almost her own genre because it's this mix of country and pop that lives in its own, its own realm. And I think that, man, I feel like woman is so, like, can be so rock and roll, too. And there's mm-hmm. so much, like, crunchy guitars, too like in that in that era like i just think yeah let's call it shania let's give her her let's give her her own genre (laughs) yeah and of course so not only was she very innovative um in how she mixed genres but she was obviously also a champion uh for femininity and changed um within country especially Mm -hmm. the idea of what um a female country singer had to dress like look like act like yeah i think that we see that best in her lyrics she is very like quote unquote strong woman like any man of mine better walk the line like she is very or um honey i'm home it's like the image of her kicking off her boots and opening a beer you know um she's definitely she definitely you know, reform the idea of what a woman should be through her lyrics. I also think that we have to talk about her outfits. I think that her fashion mm-hmm. is such a big part of the Shania persona. It's any man of mine in that video. Like the idea of a woman in country music showing midriff was a pretty big deal at mm-hmm. the time. And we, Liv and I were talking about this online about how the way she, t- even now, the way she talks about her fashion and she had a, she has had a really um, like fruitful long relationship with a designer whose name escapes me but like she's so deliberate with the way that she puts together her her costumes and her clothing and and the kind of persona that she's created right mm-hmm. um like that goes beyond just how much she seems to love leopard print but hmm. i do think that like that iconic like absolute iconic outfit and that don't impress me much with like the leopard print hooded jumpsuit thing 
like it'll just be burned in our brains forever it's something that i notice in a lot of successful women who are in control of their careers they tend to be really deliberate and they're very calculated and i think that it sometimes gets a bad rap you know you you see like mm-hmm. taylor swift absolutely torn apart for how calculated she appears to be but i honestly see it so often with successful women that i actually think it's like a key to being successful and it's a shame that it's not more celebrated okay in terms of being calculated is this a good point is this a good time to talk about a time where she wasn't being very calculated (laughs) sure in terms of her politics she got a lot of flack a couple years ago i think it was i think it was 2018 there's a piece in the guardian about her i think it was part of her um, promotional tour for now i believe where she says that if she was eligible to vote for Trump, if she was eligible to have voted in 2016, she would have voted for Trump. And she said, this is a quote, just to be very accurate. I would have voted for him because even though he was offensive, he seemed honest. Do you want straight or polite? Now that you shouldn't be able to have both. If I were voting, I just don't want bullshit. She apologized. She she didn't really she didn't take like she didn't take it back she didn't say she was wrong she said she wanted to apologize to anybody she is offended with in her recent interview the question caught me off guard i am passionately and against discrimination of any kind i hope it's clear from the choices i have made the people i stand with that i do not hold any common moral beliefs with the current president so i feel like we had to talk about this because we're heralding her as this feminist icon I think that the pieces that I read about this voting for Trump comment like kind of struck me because I, I read a lot of pieces by like LGBTQ plus people who because she has been like a queer icon like do you know how many like drag queens dress up as um, Shania Twain and admire her like it was I think it was really disappointing for a lot of communities when she said this and her her apology was kind of you know dumb and I don't know. I just think that we have to, like, I don't want to put her on too much of a pedestal without looking at the nuance of of what she said. I read an interesting piece that I think, for me, really articulated how I felt about the situation. And it was just that this is someone who's been through some abuse herself. And so obviously, it's like very shocking to see um, how she could be supportive of someone who is like a known abuser. Mm-hmm. Um, but abuse itself is, uh, this is from the article, is inherently confusing experience that intentionally commingles love, violence, and control, uh, and is processed individually. So I think that, like, all my point is to say that people process their experiences in their lives and their stories differently, and, um, how she's dealing with her own internal struggle is in my opinion, like just her business. I do think when someone's brand is feminism, questions like that become more fair. I mean, they're always fair game, but I don't think it's as, I I don't feel as bad for her for not being prepared for that answer too. For for that question, I should say. I I agree. I think that for someone who is, we know to be so calculated, she probably should have made a better decision in that moment. But in the context of the interview, the interviewer, right before she, he asked her that, had her pretty riled up about the personal betrayal in her life. And she was uh, be- 
had some quite choice words for uh, Marie Anne. And so it, in that moment, I do believe her when she says that she was like quite caught off guard and I think did falter in, um, in making the right decision about what to say there. I do think that, that the, the context of that piece is really interesting because the, some of the stuff that, not that it's an excuse and it's still like, seems like it was an opinion she genuinely had that she would have held back if she didn't, but now we know what she thinks and maybe there's value in that. I don't know. But it's, if you read the piece, the stuff that she says about, yeah, her former best friend is pretty graphic. She says about, yeah. I, I dream of doing bad things to her in my dreams. She called her the C word. And this is a person who like, is, is very reserved and introverted in how she interviews and how she reacts with the press and the media. She's very yeah. deliberate. Like you could tell even just by reading the, reading the interview that she was very emotional <laughs> in that interview. Yeah. Like this stuff. Yeah. She doesn't even swear like normally. Right. And she was very swearing funny. in that interview. Yeah. So I'm not sure what that means. I'm not sure how that makes me feel about her. I don't know what this does to her legacy. I don't. I do think that it's important. It's an important piece of her because we're talking about her as a total figure, not just as the singer of our favorite songs. I think that what I take away from this is that, like, nobody is perfect, despite every attempt that you might make to come across to the world that you are. I think it's just it's just that. It's like, we're not trying to, like, put her on this pedestal and just say, like, wow, you know, she's overcome so much adversity, like she is absolutely perfect and she can do anything that's you know that's never the message the message is that she's a real person and and we love her for so many reasons but that doesn't mean that she never makes mistakes people are complicated where is shania now what's she up to so i mean shania recently was in a movie she did a bunch of press for that which is kind of cool with the guy from uh kj appa riverdale really Riverdale. Yeah. yeah so that was kind of cool and i think it's like it's kind of interesting to see her constantly like, pushing herself and doing new things mm-hmm. uh, despite being older. Like she's really like, she really made a comeback when she came back, you know, yeah. she didn't just like, she's not just sitting on the sidelines. She's, she's getting involved. She's doing new things. And um, it's really, it's really interesting to see. And it's really fun for me to personally, that she's just like back in the mainstream back in, conversation because I love hearing about her and I love hearing what she's up to I'm always curious well here's see what she does next yeah and I hope that she tours again yeah but TBD on that I'm pretty sure I went to the goodbye tour that was after what was supposed to be a goodbye tour so when did you see her I saw her in 2015 at what used to be called cops coliseum in hamilton my biggest regret is not, I've had like so many opportunities to maybe go to her concert and I just, I never pulled the trigger and honestly, it's one of my biggest regrets. It, it's a know? good show. It's, it's worth seeing. So final thoughts, Katie. Thank you to Shania for my youth. She's still the one. Was it? Like there has to be other taglines. Shania. She impresses me much. Well, that is way worse than she's still the one. Yeah. Thanks. See you next week. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. 
Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra low net carb goodies like rich flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today.